thank you, Lord, that he's taking time to hear from you. And he's going to share what's on your heart for, for City Base today, Father. I pray for us as the congregation that our, our ears and our hearts will be open to hear what you have to say to us today, Lord. Let every word that, that is spoken today, Father, from you sink deep down into our hearts and become part of our lives, Lord. Father, let it not just be head knowledge, but let it be a lifestyle that we live out, Lord. Yeah, Father, I just want to thank you for this word, Lord, and thank you, Lord, that you are speaking to us. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, I know this word is in season because um, this morning in prayer time, things were touched on that I'm preaching on. During worship, the songs we sang, all pointing to the same thing. And then the testimonies just blew my mind because it's exactly what I'm talking about today. So I know this word is in season. And the, the, the title is Taking Jesus at His Word. But before I get into that, I just want to lay a foundation. And I want to read two scriptures. Um, one is Colossians 1 verse 15 to 18 and one is J John 1 verse 1 to 5. Just to lay the foundation of who Jesus is. So the first one, Colossians 1 verse 15 to 18. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is the first in everything. And then John 1 verse 1 to 5. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness can never extinguish it. It's all about Jesus. It's always been all about Jesus. It's all about the king and the kingdom. It's always been about the king and the kingdom. Creation is all about him. Life is all about him. The church is all about him. We are all about him. Time itself is all about Jesus. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the, the author and the finisher of our faith. He started it and he will finish it. The scripture says he'll bring to completion our faith. He's our Savior and He's our Lord. He's our King. He's the giver and taker of all things, including life itself. His words started at all and His words will end at all. His words have been the same since the beginning of time and they will never change because He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Jesus is supreme. It's all about Him. Okay, now that we've laid that foundation... We're going to talk about taking Jesus at his word. We're going to talk about taking that Jesus at his word. 
Do we still believe the word today, the Bible? Do we believe all of it or just some of it? Do we think it's outdated or irrelevant to our lives today? Or maybe just a little bit. Maybe it's just a little bit outdated, especially when it comes to do not have sex before you're married. That's old-fashioned. Or do we believe the whole truth? Because if we say that it's outdated or irrelevant, we're actually saying that Jesus is outdated and irrelevant because it's his words. In fact, it says that he is the words. I'm not shouting at you guys. <laughs> it's going to feel like I am, but I'm not. I'm doing this out of love because I took a hiding from all of this myself. Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, verse 35, heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. The Passion Translation puts it this way, the earth and sky will wear out and fade away before one word I speak loses its power or fails to accomplish its purpose. Okay, so what does it mean to take someone at their word? Well, I went to the dictionary and there's many different interpretations, but this one stood out for me. It is to interpret a person's words literally and exactly, especially by believing them or doing as they request. In other words, to believe that what the person is saying is actually true, what they, that they mean what they're saying, and then act on what they're saying. For example, Stephen comes up to me one day. I believe this might be a prophecy. And he says to me, Alex, you know that the Grand Prix, the Formula One, is coming to South Africa, to Kyle Army, in 2024. Not confirmed yet, but I'm, I'm hoping. Um, I've got tickets for you and me to go. I'd be like, wow, that's amazing. You truly are the best friend in the whole world. Thank you. <laughs> and then... He's just told me he's got tickets, right? So I start planning my trip. I'm like, what am I going to wear? Am I going to get myself a Max Verstappen outfit? Um, are we going to go to all the practices, to the qualifying, or just going to the race? Like, start planning. What time are we going to leave? What are we going to eat? Where are we going to eat? Um, are we going to walk around and maybe go see the cars in the, in the pit lane? Or, you know, like I start planning. I haven't seen the tickets. I don't even know if he's actually got the tickets. But I've taken his word. And I've started, I've started doing something. Okay, where am I in my notes? Yeah. So if that's true for someone I know, how much more should it be true for, for when Jesus is telling us to do something? If I'm willing to take a friend's word, take a friend at his word, why am I not so willing to take Jesus at his word, his whole word? Why is it so much easier for us to take friends and family members seriously, but when it comes to Jesus, we sometimes waver to believe him? So I want to look at a few examples of people who literally took Jesus at his word, like this. And the first one is John 4. Verse 46 to 53. And we all know these stories very well. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official 
whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as the t- till the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole family believed. What if we were willing to take Jesus at his word like this guy? What if we chose to believe every single thing that Jesus said, says in his word? What if we took every single scripture at face value and believed it wholeheartedly? What if that was our automatic natural response to the word? Believe it and do it. Our lives would never be the same. Our families would never be the same. Our workplaces would never be the same. The way we view the world and the people around us would never be the same. And the thing is, we might not always like what we read. We might not always understand what we read. And we might not always agree with what we read. But it's the truth. It's Jesus' word. We need to be obedient to the truth. And the thing is, God's word will challenge us, it will change us, it will stretch us, and it definitely will offend us. But that's a point, isn't it? It's meant to change us, it's meant to change our point of view. We're meant to become more like Jesus, and we do that through the word. Our attitude should be, God said it, so I'm going to do it. This is exactly what the royal official did. He took Jesus at his word. He believed his son would be healed and his son was healed. And the best part is not necessarily the miracle that his son was, b- was healed. For me, the miracle is that his whole family got saved because he took Jesus at his word. Okay, let's look at the next example. And this is in Matthew 8, verse 5 to 10 and 13. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And I just... I thought of something funny when I read that first time. I was like, he tells his servant to do this, and he does it, but not this servant. Because he's suffering terribly. (laughs) Forget about that. (laughs) I I I thought that was a little bit humorous. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. When Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. 
What a great example of faith. What a great example of taking Jesus at his word. The Satyrians believed that what Jesus was saying was the truth, that his servant would be healed, and his servant was healed. He didn't need Jesus to go with him home. He didn't need Jesus to lay hands on his servant. He didn't need Jesus to perform some weird ritual and baptize the guy in special holy oil. None of that. He knew that if Jesus just said the word, his servant would be healed. Why? Because he understood the power and authority that's in Jesus' words. And that Jesus' words hold the same power and authority today. Same God. Same Jesus. Faith allowed this guy to take Jesus at his word and a miracle happened. And faith allows us to do the same. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, And it is impossible to please God without faith. And anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. So it is impossible to please God without faith. But that also means that God is pleased with faith. He is pleased with our faith. He's pleased when we act on his word by faith. And not only is he pleased by our faith, but he also reacts to our faith. He responds to our faith, just like we've seen in these two stories. So how does faith come? Now we all know this scripture. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's Romans 10 verse 17. But now is this scripture talking about only hearing the word maybe once or twice a week? Maybe when we go to life group, if we go to life group or the other time on a Sunday morning when we hear the preach. For some, that's enough faith. Just, just enough to get through the week. But actually it's about spending time with Jesus, who is the word. It's about leaning in to hear from him inclining our ears to hear him. And I'd like to do a little illustration. Gav, if you can come stand here. Steve, on that side. Okay. So Steve is Jesus. <laughs> You're not Satan, don't worry. <laughs> Gavin is the world. Okay. So what, what I saw when I saw this picture is most Christians are here, in the middle. We can sort of hear the clutter and the distractions of the world, and we can sort of hear Jesus speaking. But then, nine out of ten times, the more we just slightly move here, <laughs> the more we start, <laughs> the more we like starting to hear the world, the distractions. And when we get here, we, we hardly can actually hear <laughs> what Jesus is saying. And in this place, what most Christians do is they say, God is not speaking. I can't hear him. He's not speaking. But it's actually a choice. We have to purposefully move towards him, move away from the worldly things, closer we get to Jesus. And that whole thing of inclining our ears is literally doing this. Listening intently to what Jesus has to say. Because here, the 
world and the distraction are almost non-existent. And here we hear Jesus' voice clearly. Thanks, guys. <coughs> See, we need to know what he's saying to us to take him at his word. If we don't know his word, we can't take him at his word. If we're not prepared to spend time with him and really invest in our time with Jesus and get to know him, we won't take him at his word. We need to learn to recognize and hear his voice, and then we will take him at his word. So let's look at third example. Luke 5. Verse 1 to 11. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genesaret. Genesaret? Genesaret. There we go. That lake. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon and asked him to put out a little more from shore. I realize that that means just push the boat a little bit away from shore. I couldn't understand what that meant. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water, which means go a little bit deeper, and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the net. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their, their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled the boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at, his, at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. The amazing thing about this story is that Peter took Jesus at his word like this. Even though he had been trying to catch fish the whole night, he must have been exhausted, frustrated, discouraged, fed up. He was literally ready to give up. He must have thought, Jesus, you have no idea what I've been going through. Although he did. We can relate to that, right? Let's be honest. But Peter did it anyway. Why? Because Jesus said it. And the result of him taking Jesus at his word was not just a miracle. It was miraculous provision far beyond they could even imagine. And that miraculous provision caused many men's lives to change forever. That was the first making of disciples. Those guys became followers of Christ. They became God's disciples, uh, Jesus' disciples. How many, us, how many of us are exhausted, frustrated, fed up, discouraged, ready to give up today? It's time to take Jesus at his word. He has spoken. You've read your Bible. Jesus has spoken. It's time to take him at his word. It's time to trust him 
for his miraculous provision. I'm speaking to myself here. Especially when it doesn't make sense. Isaiah 55 verse 8 to 9 says, My thoughts are not like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as heavens, the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Especially when it doesn't make sense. That's when we listen and obey. So I'd like to look at the fourth example. But first I want a sip of water. It's John 2 verse 1 to 11. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servant, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Here again, what Jesus was asking the servants to do just didn't make sense. Why fill these things with water? Doesn't make sense. But what Jesus' mother says here is key. And I want to read from the Amplified Version, verse 5 again. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. The result was a supernatural, unexplained miracle that saved the day. Not just any day, it saved the wedding day. Those of you that are planning your wedding day or have been part of your own wedding day, you'll know that it's a big day. And in those days, wine was a very important thing for the wedding day. And if it had run out, it would have been such a disgrace for the parents of the bride. But it saved the day. Unexplainable, supernatural miracle. But what's even the better part for me is verse 11. And again, I'm going to read from the Amplified. This, the first of his signs... Attesting miracles, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory, displaying his deity and his great power openly. And his disciples believed confidently in him as the Messiah they adhered to, trusted in, and relied on him. See, that previous scripture, they became disciples, became followers of Christ. But here, they saw his power and they believed in him started to trust him they started to rely on him because they could see he was the messiah all because the servants did exactly took him at, at his word and did exactly what he said told them to do we don't know what our obedience what the effects of our obedience 
we'll have on the people around us. Or let's flip that on the head. What our disobedience, how our disobedience can rob people of blessing. The more I think about it, the more I realize that it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about the king and the kingdom. It's about advancing his kingdom. So often our walk with the Lord becomes all about me. But it's not. Yes, we walk this road with Jesus. But it's about him. It's about him growing us. It's about him increasing us. It's about him using us to advance his kingdom. The thing is that it all boils down to trust. Do we trust God? Do we trust that what he says in his word, he will do? Do we believe that he is faithful to his word? Do we believe that he will honor what he says in his word? Do we believe that he will fulfill every single promise that's in his word? If we don't, we'll never actually take him at his word. We'll stay in the same place for the rest of our lives. We'll do the same thing over and over again. Life will become a meaningless routine where there's no hope, no joy, no peace, and nothing to look forward to. Sure, Alex, that that escalated quickly. But it's true. Because without Jesus, we can do nothing. And that's in John 15, verse 5, to seven, and 5 and 7. So if we do trust God and believe his word wholeheartedly, we will see spiritual breakthroughs and blessings like we've never were, we never imagined could happen. Because God has promised it. Jesus will blow our minds with his faithfulness. His faithfulness to his word. Why? Because he's true to his word. He's committed to his word and he's committed to every single promise we can find in his word. Numbers 23 verse 19 says, God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? Do we believe that Jesus is the God who speaks? but he's also the God who acts on what he says. Do we truly believe that if he has promised something, he will make it happen? Hebrews 10 verse 23 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And I just want to read it again in the Amplified. Let us seize and hold tightly the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is reliable and trustworthy and faithful to his word. He who promised Jesus is faithful. He's reliable, trustworthy, and faithful to his word. He's faithful to every single promise we can find in his word. I promise you. Do we truly believe that in our hearts, or do we believe what our head knowledge is saying, our intellect is saying? Sadly, sometimes our faith gets replaced by logic. Psalm 12 verse 6 says, The words and promises of the Lord are pure words. The NIV says they're flawless. Psalm 19 verse 7 to 8 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, flawless, restoring and refreshing to the soul. The statutes of the Lord are reliable and trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure enlightening the eyes. Some versions actually say the word of the Lord is radiant. 
radio. In other words, God's words can be trusted and believed. So we're going to look at a few real examples. So when God says, bring your whole tithe into the storehouse, because if you do, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. That's Malachi 3. Are we willing to take Jesus at his word with our tithe? Are we willing to obey his word in order to receive that very blessing that's promised to us in Malachi 3? Are we willing to do God's will, God's way? Why? Because it's in his word. What about when Jesus says, give, and it will be given to you? Because if you do, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. That's in Luke 6. Are we willing to take Jesus at his word with giving? Are we willing to do it his way, even though it doesn't make sense? How can I get if I keep on giving? The more I give, eventually I'll have nothing left to give, right? That's what logic tells us. The world tells us, no, 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 no. It's all about greed. It's all about take, 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 take. Forget about other people. It's all about you. It's all about you getting to the top. Step on as many heads as you can to get to the top. Don't give. That's nonsense. But God says, if I can get there, in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6, Now remember this. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows generously that blessings may come to others will also reap generously and be blessed. The only thing that we should be taking is Jesus at his word. See what I did there. What about when Jesus says, forgive and you will be forgiven? Are we willing to forgive others no matter what they've done to us? Are we willing to forgive others no matter what they've said about us or even said to us? Are we willing to forgive like Jesus forgave us? So often we say they don't deserve forgiveness. Or I didn't deserve forgiveness, but Jesus did it anyway. We have to choose between taking Jesus at his word or doing our own thing, doing it our way. If we choose forgiveness... We start to live in freedom. We start to live in the freedom of forgiveness. We start to live without bitterness. If we choose to hold grudges, we start to live in the bondage of retribution, in the bondage of revenge. Revenge starts to consume us. And I can do a whole preach on unforgiveness, but we're not going to go there. The choice is ours. What about when Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow? Do not worry about your everyday life. What you will eat or drink or what you will wear. And it says in Luke 6 as well, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. What about in the next verse, Jesus says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and I will give you everything you need. Are we willing to take him at his word with that? Or are we ready to plan, make plan B, C, D, E, F, G? Some of us are already at Z, already in the new alphabet, making plans. 
But are we willing to take Jesus at his word and trust him wholeheartedly? Romans 4 verse 21, 20 to 21 says, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. Like Abraham, we can be fully convinced that God will come through, that he will answer all that he promises. He, he will fulfill his promises, even when it seems impossible. If you think about Abraham, this promise that he was promised was that he would have children and that his children would be as numerous as the sands on the seashore. And he was only at the tender age of 100 and so was his wife. She was only a hundred. <laughs> but yet, she fell pregnant and she bore a child. God fulfilled the promise. And it says there that, that the fact that God took so long didn't make him disbelieve the promise. It made his faith stronger. And this brought glory to God. What has God promised you a few years back? I believe he's reminding you of those things today. And I believe he's asking you to hold on to those promises because he will fulfill them. Jesus said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God, everything is possible. That's Matthew 19, 26. We have to start taking Jesus at his word, his whole word. We have to start believing that Jesus will do whatever he's promised. But what happens when we don't? When we know the theory, but we don't actually quite live it out in faith. Well, this is our last example for today. And it's Mark 4, verse 35 to 40. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The, the disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And whenever I read that, passage previously I always thought that Jesus was being a bit harsh I mean the storm was real they really thought they were going to drown but then I realized that the interesting, interesting thing about the story is that Jesus said let us go to the other side if he said let's go to the other side he meant let's go to the other side he didn't say we're going to Get in the boat and hopefully, sure, maybe we'll make it. He didn't say that we might drown along the way. He said, we're going to make it to the other side. Let's go to the other side. But the disciples, the, they heard this, but they doubted his words when the storm came. And instead of taking Jesus at his word, they focused on the storm. They focused on the circumstances. A lot of us know exactly what's happening here. They forgot that he had said that they would make it to the other side. And I don't need to remind any of you that the storms of life can be very real. They can be very intense. 
They can be overwhelming. The wind can be so strong it feels like our sails are going to tear right off. For some, the mast even looks like it's going to break. The waves can be so big that you think your whole boat's just going to break into two. All we see is gray. Gray skies, gray water. Gray skies, gray water. There's no horizon. And while we're like soaked to the bone, all we feel is wet and cold. We've been there. We know what this feels like. But we have a choice. We either focus on the storm, we either focus on our circumstances and believe that we are going to drown, or we're going to focus on the one who controls the storm. And the one who promised, we will make it to the other side. Let's go to the other side. So often we're on this journey with Jesus, and we're like, Lord, but you promised us. What is happening? And he's like, yeah, it will happen. I just want you to learn something along the way. Like Norman said, it's time to take Jesus at his word. Smith Wigglesworth said this, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Wow. <laughs> That's my preach in a nutshell. My prayer for all of us is that our, we would live our li- lives like that. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Let's do this. I'm going to stand on all of God's promises, not just some, all of them. I'm going to live a life of faith, taking Jesus at his word, obeying him wholeheartedly, and walking in the fullness of his divine power. We are children of the Most High God. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We have his divine power to become more like Jesus, more and more like Jesus and to point more and more people to him along the way. And I just want to finish with this last scripture, and it's 2 Peter 1, verse 3 to 8. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Let me read that again. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I realize there's a whole preach in this portion of Scripture, but I just wanted to focus on the fact that God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. And yes, it takes us takes us, us stepping out in faith, takes us to make a conscious effort to grow in him in Jesus. But we have to hold on to the promises. We have to take Jesus at his word. And my question to all of us today is what has God been saying to you? What has God been challenging you on? in his word what has God promised you 
what has God asked you to do? Or what has asked God asked you to stop doing? What prophecies has God been speaking over your life, old and new? What desires and dreams have been confirmed by God through his word? Where has God told you to go? Where is God calling you next? It's time to start taking Jesus at his word. And I want us to just ponder on those questions as I'm praying. And really just get real with God in this moment. Because God has promised us a lot. You might not even realize it. But he has. And he's got plans and purposes for every single one of us. And he wants us to step out in faith, take him at his word, even if it makes no sense. And trust him. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for your word. Your word brings life. Let us correct where we've done things wrong, Lord. I pray that you forgive us, Lord, where we have not trusted you, where we have not taken you at your word, and we've done our own thing, Lord. But your promises are true, Lord, and you are faithful to your word. You are faithful to your promises. And we know, without a doubt, from today, Lord, that you will fulfill every single promise you have promised us. And we can stand on that truth. I pray, Lord, that we'll all live a life of faith. We'll stand on faith. We'll stand on you, Jesus, because it's all about you. It's all about advancing your kingdom and us becoming more and more like you. Thank you, Lord, for every single person that's here, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would use us in our obedience to your word. That people's lives will be changed, Lord. People would come to know you through us, Lord. Disciples will be made through us, Lord. And yes, signs and wonders and miracles will follow us because we're taking you at your word, Lord. And our focus is not the signs and wonders, Lord. But for some people, that's what they need to see, to believe. Lord, if we can convince people into the kingdom, anyone else can convince them out of the kingdom. But when your signs and your wonders follow the preaching of your word, Lord, people's lives are changed forever. So we want the signs and wonders, Lord. It's not our focus, Lord. But we want you to use us to do miracles, Lord. To pray for people and they're healed. To pray for situations and situation changing the next day. Thank you, Lord, that you would use us to advance your kingdom. That, you'd, that you want to have intimate relationship with every single one of us. And while everyone's eyes are closed, I just feel like if you don't know Jesus at all, you've never said, Jesus, I want to follow you the rest of my life. I want you to just put your hand up now because today is a day of salvation. Today your life can cha be changed forever. Today you can become a, a follower of Jesus Christ. You can choose life over death. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your people. I pray bless them abundantly as we take you at your, at your word, Lord. 
And thank you for the amazing testimonies that are going to come, even in this next week, because you are faithful to your word and you are faithful to us. In Jesus' name, amen. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Um, church is over. But... <laughs>